Welcome, welcome, welcome to Stand your feet, give God some praise tonight. Come on, you can get up quicker than that. Come on, lift up those hands. If I can get the mic all the way up. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place tonight. How many feel his presence? Come on, with every hand lifted, Father, we worship you tonight. And we acknowledge you for who you are. And we thank you, Jesus, that when your presence shows up, things begin to happen. Light enters darkness. Bondage turns into freedom. Sin turns into salvation. And we pray, Lord, that you would have your way tonight. Save those who are lost. Break off every bondage of the enemy. Every religious spirit, God, we pray that you would bring breakthrough and freedom. And Lord, we pray for your healing power to flow in this place. In Jesus' mighty name. And every heart says, Amen. You may be seated. I'm excited. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. I'm excited, Pastor Ruben, your wife, all the other pastors. Can we give it up for them? You can do better than that. Come on, we got about 15 people clapping. We honor you. Thank you so much for, for creating a space where we can come and encounter the living God, the King of glory. Uh, who, who came from afar? Who drove a little bit of ways to get here? Who flew in? Come on, can we give it up for them? We honor you. We acknowledge you. Thank you for being here tonight. There's no greater place in the house of God. Amen. I'm excited. For those who don't know me, my name is Matt. I'm 25 years old. I'm from Chicago, Illinois. Anybody from Chicago? Pastor Ruben's from Chicago. He was driving by my house the other week. Didn't hit me up. What is that? I got to bust him out in front of the whole congregation. My story is simple. I was born and raised in the church, but I, I didn't know God until I had a real encounter. How many can relate? I was just a churchgoer, but I wasn't a true disciple. And tonight, before the services, I was praying. I really felt the Lord minister to my heart about being committed to Him. A lot of people come to church, but they don't really make a decision to be committed to Jesus. And if I would title this message tonight, something it would be this. Is He Lord? Is He Lord of your life? How much of you does the Holy Spirit truly possess and control? You know, I've discovered this growing up in the church when I encounter the Lord, and I'm going to preach in just a moment, but hear me. I've learned that when Jesus is our Savior, we have Him. But hear me, friends, when He is Lord, He has us. There is a difference between being saved and Jesus actually being Lord of your life. And in many parts of the world today, it's impossible to be indifferent in church services. In these places, in third world countries, worshipers, believers assemble fully knowing that they could be slaughtered for doing so. And we would love to agree that these are some very serious saints of God. But in the U.S. particularly, we are indifferent and we're apathetic to what's happening at church. 
Can we be real tonight? Many seem to greet the things of God with just a big yawn. Some appear to be too bored with the religion. And I believe a lot of this is attributable to the cute sermons that are being preached. But if you hear a message that will convict you and shake you to your core, you're going to want to give your life to the Lord and allow Him to sit in the driver's seat of your life. And so tonight, I believe that the message that I'm going to preach, I'm not here to call you out, but rather to wake you up. It's time to get out of the doghouse of treating God too casually. And I don't know if you know, church, but casual believers do not produce power. I was raised in church my whole life, but I went through the motions of Christianity. And I claimed to be saved, but yet when I left the house of God, I was lukewarm. I was complacent. I lived in compromise. But from the greatest joy I ever experienced was saying yes to Jesus. And saying, Lord, have your way in my life. Sit on the throne of my heart. So tonight as I preach, I believe the Holy Spirit is going to examine your heart and search your heart. And He's, gonna, he's not doing it to condemn you, but to establish humility in you. Because listen to me, God does not expose your sin to shame you. He exposes it to change you. And I want you to have an open heart tonight. If you're here, listen, if you can point to a time where you were more in love with Jesus than you are today, what happened? If you're living off of yesterday's relationship with God, what happened in your life? See, the manna that Israel ate yesterday had worms in it. And I believe God's going to do something in our hearts tonight, including mine, that when we leave this place, we're not only going to leave different from what we walked in, but we're going to leave having a fresh encounter with God every single day of our life. I'm talking about daily encounters, not yesterday's encounter. Amen. Hallelujah. Once you turn your Bibles with me, if you have a Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, and we'll be preaching off the scripture. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. You can just read along with me. It says, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life. Somebody say life. Then the Bible says in the next line, only a few find it. Can I say that last line again? It says, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. But it says, small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Church, if I can say one thing to you tonight, it would be that the road to heaven is extremely small and very few will find it, according to the scripture. Jesus is here with open arms with anybody who would repent of their sins and come to him. He's paid a price for all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of his will. But Fred, can I be real tonight? Can I say this, Pastor Ruth? Your attendance tonight is not proof of salvation. His residence in you is proof of your salvation. 
And I feel the urgency in my spirit tonight to tell somebody, Paul said, therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And I believe that tonight is somebody's last night to get right with Jesus. I believe tonight is somebody's last night. See, I'm going to preach it how I feel it tonight. I'm going to preach it like it's somebody's last night in the back, giving God another chance, saying, if you don't, if you don't encounter me tonight, I'm going to take my life after this. And I believe that He's here, ready to save, ready to heal, ready to deliver. Hallelujah. Many people say they love Christ, but their actions show that they don't love Him. And I'm also going to say this tonight, that just because you go to church doesn't mean that you're going to heaven. Can we be real? The devil doesn't care if you come in this house. Many cares if you start looking like Christ. See, it's the love of God that brings you to Jesus, but it's the fear of God that keeps you in Jesus. He says, nobody comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And if you're here tonight, it's because the Father has drawn you here. It's not a coincidence that you're in this house tonight. It's a divine appointment between you and the presence of Almighty God. Somebody shout amen right there. See, I want to confront casual Christianity tonight. See, our culture, our culture loves casual. Casual Fridays, casual conversations, casual relationships. Casual even creeps into how we live our faith. And to be casual today is usually, usually regarded as a good thing. It's cool. It's cute. But if you're too radical, people look at you funny. Say, you're a little too much. You need to chill. You need to calm down. Last time I checked, when you stand before God, it's just you and Him. He's not going to judge you saying, you were too on fire for me. You, you, you praised me too hard on Sunday morning. You, you prayed too much. Is God really going to Z judge us? Off of, you prayed too much. You read too much. You, you sang too much to me. See, casual Christianity is this. It's faith in moderation Allowing one to feel religious without having to prioritize one's faith. A casual Christian can be described as lukewarm. They present a mixed worship. They, they live a mixed lifestyle. They send a mixed message. Are you with me? See, casual believers are defined by the desire to please God, please the family, and other people while extracting as much enjoyment and comfort from the world as possible. Can I tell you tonight, church, that if you're halfway in, you're all the way out. And I'm sure you've heard this from many people that He's not looking for you to be 90%, 95%, 99.9%. He wants all of you. He doesn't want just, yes, we, the Bible says that we partner with the Spirit of God for the advancement of the kingdom. But He doesn't just want partnership with you. He wants ownership of you. I believe God is saying here tonight, I'm not after your perfection, but rather your surrender. If you allow me in, I could change you from the inside out. Hallelujah. See, us as believers, we, we, we come into church, into conferences to be, to be stimulated, to receive rather than to give. We like to be ourselves and not fit into somebody else's program. But see, I believe the Lord is so done with casual Christianity that has swept through our society where a 
relationship with Jesus has become so unimportant to us. We have no commitment and we treat God like a high school relationship that's always on and off again. And if you're hearing me preach right now, thinking this isn't about me, think again. It's about all of us, me included. The busy schedules we have within a world that is often a lot more intriguing than eternity, we tend to casually live for God. See, see, we'll come to God for His protection. We'll come to God for, for unexplainable miracles. We'll come to God for what we want Him to do for us, though we won't give up our selfish desires. We won't give up our time. We won't give up the plan that we made for ourselves. This is what a casual relationship with God looks like. God is kind of important, but He's still not more important than the things that I want. And the result of this casual Christianity is that the world has absolutely no clue what a real relationship with God is really like. The problem is that what they think is good about Christianity, the, the free will to do whatever you, you want when God blesses you is not true. See, real Christianity preaches a different message. Heaven and hell are still real. Sin is still wrong. Come on. The Bible is still God's written word. Marriage is still between one man and one woman. This word is still sharper than any two-edged sword. And I want to ask you tonight, has this word become a treasure in your heart? Has this word truly become the compass that you and I rely on for direction? See, as I meditate on this word, as I, as I reflect on my life and everything going on in our nation and in, in the world today, I, I think to myself, the further the culture gets from the truth, the more that they are offended by the truth. Well, three people caught that. See, the further the culture gets from the truth, the more they're offended by the truth. So the Bible says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. And people say, well, man, if God is real, then why is there so many other religions? Well, because the devil has devised and planned to blind people from the truth of God's gospel. There's a lot of religions out there, but only one leads to eternal life. A lot of them, they're all about man seeking after God, but real Christianity is about God seeking after man. Hallelujah. And I want to tell you again, if you're here tonight, you're not here by accident. God wants to encounter you. Not, not religion. Friend, hear me. Your soul is longing and craving for a genuine experience and encounter with the King of glory, with the God of the universe. And I don't know about you. I'm preaching to myself tonight, God. I want to encounter you in such a I'm not talking about a series of services and conferences where a visiting minister such as myself comes in and preaches a nice message to you, preaches the word of God to you. I'm not talking about an emotional feeling that comes and goes like the wind. See, what I'm talking about is a move of God in a person that transitions them from death to life. I'm talking about something that could happen in a moment's notice when God comes in and He marks your life with His love and His power and His glory. I'm talking about an encounter with the living God that invites Him in to recover that which has been lost. Repair that which has been broken. Restore that which has been taken. 
The revival I'm talking about that God wants you to experience tonight is the kind that the psalmist understood when he sang in Psalms chapter 138 verse 7. He says these words, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand will save me. For I'm speaking about a life-changing encounter with God tonight that causes you, come on somebody, to refocus your vision and regain your spiritual composure. Uh, an encounter with God that causes you to see yourself as he sees you. Fearfully, wonderfully made. A vessel created to bear his image and carry his spirit. An encounter that, that awakens the sleeping call of God on your life. Anybody with me tonight? An encounter that jars your memory and takes you back to the moment that God bought you with the precious blood of Jesus. Can I tell you here tonight that you are not your own? You've been bought with the price and you need to be about your father's business. Tomorrow's not promised to no man. A person drowning in a river needs to be saved right now. Not tomorrow. Not next week, not next month, not next year, but tonight. Hallelujah. An encounter that reminds you that He filled you with His Spirit. That He stamped you with His stamp of approval. That He anointed you with His holy oil. I'm talking about a kind of revival that causes you to get your priorities straight. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You want to encounter God in such a way where you leave here and your priorities start getting straight? Well, you don't leave the same way you came in. You don't leave with the same demons you walked in with. But you leave free. You leave full of the Holy Ghost, full of passion, full of love, full of purpose, full of grace, full of power. Come on, somebody. I don't want religion any longer. There's a few of you in here that are stuck in religion. A few of you came here because you're tired of religion. What is religion? See, religion is about human beings trying to get to God. But see, real Christianity is God coming down to reach the human. Religion makes you proud of what you've done. But the gospel makes you proud of what Jesus already done. See, religion focuses on filling churches with people. But the gospel focuses on filling people with God. That's why I always tell people that the kingdom would not be advanced with us coming and filling up churches, but rather us being filled with the, with the living God, with the Spirit of Almighty God. Hallelujah. We're not here to be an audience, to be entertained. We're here to be an army that is to be empowered for the service of God. Hallelujah. A lot of the American church hasn't shown the world anything different. It just grieves my heart that in a world full of Christians, most of the world has no clue what we're actually about. How many of our neighbors know we serve Jesus? How many of our co-workers know we serve Jesus? How many of our lost family members know that we serve Jesus? When's the last time we discipled? So can I, I'm just being real tonight. I, I've got the conviction of the Holy Spirit. There's people in Ukraine right now getting killed. Families getting killed. People fleeing. All they have is the gospel. Pastors not fleeing because they want to be an example to the flock. And say this is, an, this is, this is our time to display the gospel of Jesus Christ to our communities. Friend, what a tragedy that would be to wait to a moment like that for you to share Jesus. 
What are we doing with what we've been given? Are we living a life worthy of the calling we've received? Hallelujah. Well, we don't just come into church and we hear the Word of God being preached and then Monday through Saturday, we never open up this Word. I'm going to say it. The Internet is not your Bible. These posts are not your Bible. Come on, somebody. People's stories in their post descriptions are not your Bible. A quote is not your Bible. A devotional is not your Bible. Come on, somebody. The sermon is not your Bible. The only thing that is your Bible is your Bible. And someone can read the Bible and tell you what it's about, but there's nothing like reading it for yourself. Come on, somebody. There's nothing like experiencing God's character for yourself. There's nothing like experiencing God's identity for yourself. There's nothing that can replace your Bible. There's nothing that can replace you spending time with God and getting to know Him deeper for yourself. There's nothing uncool about reading your Bible. If you have access to a Bible, it is an absolute blessing. And friend, hear me. I believe... That holiness comes to those whose treasure is the Word. I believe it with all my heart. And it's time tonight to give them our all. See, He gives us an option to either depend on ourselves or depend upon Him. And the result is either freedom or frustration. Are you with me? Why would we not choose freedom why would we not I remember being in the back seat of this Uber and this Muslim woman was driving me and as she was driving I, just, I got a word of knowledge that she had some uh, pain somewhere in her back and I, I said can I pray with you she said yeah and she looks back and said no woman of God look forward I gotta make it home praise God <laughs> she's looking forward she's you know I'm like no 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 keep your eyes on the road I begin praying for her and immediately she felt this fire go in her back. She gets healed. She pulls up to my house and she's looking behind me. She says these words. She says, Jesus is big. Muslim, Jesus is so big. I said, he sure is big. He's so big that every knee's going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I looked at that lady. I said, you need to give him your life tonight. And this is what I, I looked her in the eyes. I said, Pastor Ruben, I looked at her, I said, why wouldn't you want to follow the man who shed his blood for you? Why wouldn't you want to follow the man who's faithful when you're not? Why wouldn't you want to follow the man who would take you back every time you stray? Why wouldn't you want to follow a man who laid down his life for you and three days later rose from the dead with all power, took on your identity so that you would take on his identity? Why would you not want to follow a man that died as you so that you would live as him? Why would I put my faith in a man who's still in the grave? There's reported to be so many religions and, and gods in the world, yet only one was verified historically that rose from the dead. And I just want to remind some believers tonight that there was five hundred witnesses. Oh my goodness, the Bible says there was five hundred witnesses that he rose from the dead. And I got some news tonight. He's still alive. Praise God. He's still alive. Now, I don't know what you're talking about up there preaching the way you're
preach. Look, I came here to preach in front of an audience of one man, and his name is Jesus. You might think I'm weird. People might think, I'm, yeah, I'm weird. I believe in a God who died for me, rose from the dead, ascended into the clouds. He's not here anymore. Where the Spirit is, yes, I'm weird. But he is who he says he is. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Some of you have been struggling with religion too long, with anxiety too long. You've been in agreement with, with, with the assignment of the enemy on your life too long. And I believe it's time to tell the devil you're off limits because of the blood of Jesus. Frank, can I remind you tonight that the blood still speaks volumes? The blood is still a weapon that has never lost its power. That blood still speaks today. And by the power and the authority that's in the blood of Jesus, we can tell the devil, you've overstayed your visit. And I no longer want to struggle under the weight of the enemy. I want the enemy to struggle under the weight of me. Hallelujah. I want the anointing of Almighty God on my life to break the devil's yoke in the lives of bound up people. I want the anointing to teach me to know God's truth versus error. Anybody, anybody want the anointing? The anointing is what makes the difference. The anointing is what, what, what enables you to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. The anointing is what gives you power to be effective for the kingdom of God. You saw Z up here rapping. Singing that spoken word I wrote for him. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you sense the substance of the Holy Spirit all over his words. That, my friend, is the anointing. Not talent, but the anointing. See, there's a difference between talent and anointing. Gifting and anointing. See, talent will draw people to you. But the anointing will draw people to God. I don't know about you, but I want, I want the anointing. I want to be drawn to Jesus. If, if I preach this message and I finish and I don't point you to the King of Glory, then I, I didn't do it. I did a disservice to you. But if I'm up here and I, there's something that's shaking on the inside of you, there's something booming on the inside of you, that is the conviction and the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God. Hallelujah. See, so many of us are intrigued by His goodness. But, cre we, but, but create distance when we're required to make a sacrifice. Can I say that again? So many of us are intrigued by His goodness, but yet we create distance when we're required to make a sacrifice. And the answer is that God's people, most of them, have made a decision about Jesus, but have never made a commitment to Him. And there's a vast difference between a decision to do something and a commitment. Are you with me? See, there's people who are saved. They've been convicted by the Holy Spirit. They've been convicted by the Word of God. And they've made decisions like, I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven when I die. I'm sick and tired of the mess I'm in. I'm upset about the way I've been living. I want help. I want a new life. They made a decision to receive the Lord Jesus as their Savior. They don't want to spend an eternity in hell. They want to enter heaven. They received it. They invited Jesus Christ into their lives. They were baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. But hear me, that was a definite decision. But yet many Christians are not living fruitful and devoted lives. Why? Because there's not many preachers out there explaining 
to them the difference between a decision to do something and a commitment to the person of Jesus Christ. There's a scripture in Luke where Jesus says, if you don't hate your father, if you don't hate your mother, if you don't hate your wife, your children, some of you looking looking at me like I'm crazy. This is the words of Jesus. And they must have shaken his hearers in their hearts. The people who are listening to him. He said, if you don't hate everybody else, you're not worthy of me. You're not worthy to be my disciple if you don't hate everybody else. Let me tell you what he was really saying. He's not really saying like, go really hate them with all your heart. What he's saying is that your love for me must be so deep, so intense, so passionate, so all-consuming that every other love seems like hate in comparison to your love for me. He's not really saying you hate them. What he's saying is that you must love me so deeply that every other love in your life seems like hate in comparison to your love for me. That's how much you got. God is a jealous God. And anything that gets in between you and Him has to go. Whatever it is, you ever notice when you're just you're following God and then all of a sudden you get distracted and then things just don't go well for you? That's God coming in and, and just messing things up. Wrecking your plans before they wreck you. He's a jealous God. He wants you. I believe the greatest element in our Christian walk is our faithfulness to God. We're so faithful to pay our phone bill and our mortgage and our car notes and, and everything else, but why are we not faithful to Him? We're faithful to our jobs full-time, whether part-time. We're faithful to clock in the work, but yet we don't clock in the Spirit. Leonard Ravenhill once said, the secret to praying is praying in secret. See, I've learned that a praying man will stop sinning and a sinning man will stop praying. And I'm here tonight to let you know you're either going to allow prayer to drive out the sin in your life or you're going to allow sin to drive out prayer from your life. There's a choice, frustration or freedom. And I believe he's here tonight, ready to change you from the inside out. Anybody with me? Hallelujah. So as believers, if you're here tonight, hear me. We must not only make a decision to follow Jesus, we must commit our lives to Him. Why? He's our Creator. He built us from nothing. He breathed life into us. He loved us when we had nothing worth loving. We were broken, hopeless sinners with nothing to offer. Even still, He gave us everything. Hear me tonight. God owes you nothing, but yet gives you everything. And if you really understood what He did for you on that cross on Calvary, you would live every second of your life for Him. He gave us everything. And all we can do to repay what He's done for us is to give Him His breath back, to use the life that He gave us to honor Him. See, He's the greatest friend to great sinners. He's the one who draws near in our suffering, yet He remains committed to us even in our stumbling. Did you hear that? He's the greatest friend to the greatest sinners. He draws near in our suffering. 
And He remains committed even in our stumbling. I don't know if you know, but when a person makes a commitment in the New Testament, it's a fully devoted commitment. We cannot be partially committed or sort of committed. We're either committed or we're not committed. Are you hearing me tonight? I'm going to share a parable and I'm through. Is that all right? I got the mic anyway. I'm going to do it. There's this parable. Anybody know a man by the name of Reinhard Bonnke? Oh my goodness. You need to read about Reinhard Bonnke. He was, he's a general in the faith. He had a ministry in Africa. Had a, had a vision that just the blood of Jesus would wash all, all over Africa. And that Africa would be saved in Jesus' name. And his ministry, Christ for All Nations, which Daniel Kalenda took over. They won over like 150 million souls to Christ. Documented. And, and plugged into churches, being discipled. There's a parable from Reinhardt I want to share with you tonight. It's a story of a wealthy man who owned this big mansion where there was ten rooms on the top. I'm sorry, ten rooms in the house, five on the top and five on the bottom. I want you to pay attention to this parable. We're going to have an altar call tonight. This wealthy man was in his house that he owned. And there was a knock on the door one day. And so this man, he goes to see who it was. He looks through the door. He opens it up. And guess who was standing there? Jesus. Shining like the sun. And he looks to Jesus. He says, Jesus, I've heard all about you. How you heal people. How you deliver people. How you wash them from all their sins. How you fill them with your spirit. Uh, if you would come in, I would love for you to be my guest. And Jesus, as a gentleman, comes in. He says, I've got this, this master bedroom, the top room upstairs of this, the top of this house. It's got this amazing panoramic view. It's the biggest, it's the best, and it's yours if you want it. Jesus, as a gentleman, accepts the offer, says, thank you very much, takes the keys. He goes back upstairs. Later that evening, there's another knock on the door. This man's thinking to himself, who on earth would be knocking on my door at this time of night? So he goes to see who it is. He cracks open the door a little bit. And guess who's standing there? The devil. You're doing great. And he already cracked open the door and he tried to shut it. He says, oh no, devil, I don't want you in my house. I've heard all about what you do to people. How you torment them and fill them with fears and tears and filthy compulsions. But see, he already had the door open a little bit. And that's all the devil needs. Because then he'll put his knee in the door. Next thing you know, he puts his elbow in the door, his shoulder in the door. And the next thing you know, he's, he's already broken in. Bust down that door was wrestling with that wealthy man all night long. That wealthy man was no match for the devil. As the sun started rising up, the devil slipped out the back door. At that time, Jesus comes down the stairs. The wealthy man 
suddenly remembers that Jesus was in his house as his guest. And so he quickly comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, I forgot you were staying in my house. Wait a minute. If you were upstairs that whole time, why didn't you come down and deliver me from this devil that broke into my house and was tormenting me all night long? And Jesus looks at the man and says, Sir, you own this house. You've only given me one room out of the ten. The other nine still belong to you. <coughs> the man looks at Jesus, he says, Lord, you're so right. From this point on, I'm going to split my house with you 50-50. Five rooms on the top for you. Five rooms on the bottom for me. Jesus is a gentleman who accepts the offer, says, thank you very much, takes the clump of keys, walks back upstairs. Later that evening, guess what happens? It's the devil. The man, again, cracks open the door. The devil busts in, wrestles him out all night long. Still, he's no match for the devil. As the sun rises again, the devil slips out the back door. At that time, Jesus comes down the stairs again. And the wealthy man comes to him and this time he's a little bit angry. He says, Lord, I've been more than generous. I've given you half of the rooms in my house and you can't even save me. And Jesus looks at the wealthy man and says, sir, you've only given me five out of the ten rooms of your house. The other five still belong to you. And the wealthy man looks at Jesus, he says, you know what? From this point on, moving forward, I'm going to give you every room in my house except the one I sleep in. I'm just going to keep that one for myself, Lord. I've got some things in that room I don't want you to see, some, some adult things. So Jesus, as a gentleman, accepts the offer, says, thank you very much, takes the keys, goes back upstairs, guess what happens again? It's the devil! Busts open the door, wrestling with this man all night long, still no match for the devil. The sun rises again, at that point the devil slips out the back door, Jesus comes down the stairs again. The wealthy man at this point is pretty desperate. He falls to his knees, and he's crying out to the Lord. It says, I don't understand. I'm giving you so many rooms in my house and you're not saving me, but you're here. Why are you not doing anything? And Jesus says, sir, let, let me help you. See, you're the owner of this house. The title deed is in your name, which means you must be the protector of this house. You've given me nine out of the ten rooms of this house, but still one belongs to you. The wealthy man looks at Jesus, desperate, broken. He says it all makes sense. He, he understood at this, at this point that he had only invited Jesus in as a guest and not the owner. And he got this revelation like many of you are about to get right now. And so he looks at Jesus and he says, you know what? From this point on, everything is yours that you see. Every room, every door, every window, every blade of grass, it's all, it belongs to you anyway, Lord. Take it. 
<laughs> Jesus is a gentleman, says thank you very much, takes the keys and goes back upstairs. <laughs> Guess what happens that night? Another knock on the door. Now this time, as the door's knocking, this man's knee is knocking. Cold sweat coming down his face. He's tempted to open up that door. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Just temptations of the enemy that, that try to fill your mind at nighttime. And this man was so tempted. His hands are shaking. He's finding himself getting closer to the door. And he's about to open it when there is a tap on his shoulder. Come on, man. He looks behind him. And it was Jesus standing there shining like the sun. And he says, excuse me, sir. I believe this house belongs to me. Move out of the way. Come on, somebody. Jesus is not just no guy who's scared. Now he, he opened up that door. He said, who's there? And the devil looks at Jesus, looks at the address, looks at Jesus, looks at the address, looks back at Jesus again. And very confused, very carefully takes steps back, falls to his knees and says, I'm sorry, sir. I got the wrong house. Come on, somebody. I believe tonight this is what's going to happen. You need to make Jesus Lord of your life. You need to make Jesus the master of your life. You've been bought with the price. The Bible says not by silver, not by gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus. Anybody hear me tonight? He wants you to give him everything. Everything. The rooms in your heart that say do not enter, he wants to come in. He wants to clean house. Everything that's been keeping you bound for years. Some of you are in here, you have an addiction to depression, to anxiety, to pornography. You know who you are. God wants to set you free. And not only does He want to set you free, He wants you to stay free. Can I get everybody to stand up in this moment? I believe God is here ready to deliver, ready to heal. Ready to fill. Come on, if you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, tonight is your night. Tonight is your night. Tonight is your night. Come on, every hand lifted in this moment. Every hand lifted in this moment. I believe if you're here, that's everybody in this place. If this message was for you, if you know you're not where you need to be with Jesus, if you know you need to give Him your all, if you know you're living in sin. See, the devil really doesn't mess with you while you're in sin. He messes with you when you're trying to get out. Maybe that's why some of you had a hard time getting here tonight. Maybe that's why this week you've been distracted. You've been in spiritual warfare. Things have been unusual. It's because the devil knows that Jesus wants to do something special in your life. Some of you, the devil's been trying to torment you of your past because he doesn't want you to see what's in your future. And tonight we're going to tell the devil that his days are numbered and our days are eternal. <laughs> Every hand lifted. If you've never given your life to Jesus or you have and you went astray and you want what we like to call rededicate your life to God. If you, those are even watching the replay right now or live, on Facebook, I believe we're streaming on someone's phone here. This is your moment to get right with God. This is your moment. Tomorrow's not promised. God forbid, but if you leave this place and something happens to you or some of you don't wake up in the morning, this is your moment to get right with Jesus. I want you to make your way to this altar right now. If you know that Jesus is only a guest in your life and not the owner, He doesn't sit on the throne of your heart, this is your moment tonight to give Him your all. If you're here tonight and you say, man, I'm halfway in and halfway out. This
this is your moment. Come to the altar. Let the altar alter you tonight. Come on. The Holy Spirit of God is here, ready to convict, ready to save. You're never too lost to be saved. Come on, make your way up here. There's room for you tonight. You're never too broken for God to fix. You're never too guilty for God to forgive you. Come on. 